definition of theory is as follows. A plausible or scientifically acceptable general principle or body of principles offered to explain phenomena. What's up, theorists? I am your host, Can Goods. Welcome back to the Can Theory Show. Today we're going to be talking about the Belgian UFO wave that happened in 1989 and 1990. So beginning on November 29th of 1989 is when these sightings began. And all of these sightings reported triangular craft hovering over Belgium. And they had these three lights with a fourth one in the center. And the three would beam down in sort of a spotlight formation. So 143 people witnessed these UFO sightings, and over 2,600 written statements have been reported over this span of 1989 through 1990. And all the reports said these craft were silent, and they could change in varying speeds. And we're going to get into the Belgian Air Force's detailed account of when they deployed F-16s to actually trail this thing around and see what was going on and what this invasion was over Belgian airspace because they did pick it up on radar. So it's kind of an anomaly. So on radar, this thing had a diamond shape to it and it was also like morphing in a way. That kind of is unclear, but the fact is they did detect it on radar and have no explanation for what it was to this day 30 years later. And it was able to change speeds drastically. And I'm talking going from like a dead stop to, you know, 600 miles per hour. And then it could go from 600 miles per hour to 170 miles per hour. And the thing could like climb and drop an altitude in record speeds that are still unachievable by the aircraft technology we have today. In two seconds, it was able to drop 3,300 feet. That's a lot. Like, unless you're crashing to the ground, even then, the, the speed of gravity isn't going to propel you that fast. And in doing so, it was able to break the sound barrier. The perplexing part is, they never heard a sonic boom. This thing could move up, down, quickly to a dead stop, and it didn't break the sound barrier. I know if any of you guys have ever been around jet aircraft, you hear it, and you can hear it from the ground how loud that is. But this thing didn't do that whatsoever. Now, my theory on this is it was somehow manipulating the gravitational field around the craft because they did hear a slight buzzing wherever this thing went. It moved silently apart from this, like, field around it. That's what some people have reported, and I think it was able to manipulate the gravitational field around it, thereby somehow bypassing the sound barrier because it's sort of working with another state of motion and another state of force entirely. So when the F-16s were trailing this thing, it was doing all its maneuvers, dropping up and down, accelerating, and then it disappeared by pretty much beelining out of sight at a speed of 46 Gs. So 46 Gs is a lot. That's more than astronauts can tolerate. It'll literally turn the human body into a pulp, just the sheer force of that speed. So what was this thing doing there, though? Why, why is it even in Belgian airspace? I think 
when they deployed the F-16s to go and investigate this thing, they began toying with the F-16s to kind of measure their capabilities, see how how well they were able to trail them because it repeatedly broke radar locks like the second or within just a few seconds of the F-16s actually being able to lock onto it. So this happened multiple times when they actually deployed F-16s to trail these craft that were over the airspace. And we're going to get into a status report with that as chronological listing of the events that took place on March 30th through the 31st in the wee hours of the morning of 1990. So this is formatted in military time, and I'm going to read it off to you guys. It begins at 2300, which is 11 p.m. The supervisor responsible for the GLONS CRC receives a phone call from a Mr. A. Rankin, a federal police officer who certifies to see from his home three unusual lights. These lights are distinctly more intense than stars and planets. They don't move and are located at the apexes of an equilateral triangle. The color is changing red, green, and yellow. At 2305, the Glan CRC asked the federal police to send a patrol at this place in order to confirm the sighting. At 2310, a new call from Mr. Rankin points out a new phenomenon. Three other lights move towards the first triangle. One of these lights is far brighter than the others. The Glan CRC observes in the meantime an unidentified radar contact about five kilometers north of an airport. The contacts are moving at about 25 knots westward. At 2328, the federal police officers, among others, a Captain Pinson is on the premises and confirms Mr. Rankin's sightings. Captain Pinson describes the object phenomenon as follows. The bright points have a dimension of a big star. Their color changes continually. The prevailing color is red, then it changes itself in blue, green, yellow and white but not always in the same order the lights are very clear as if they were signals this enables the, to distinguish them from stars so between 2330 and 2345 the three new lights in the meantime have drawn closer to the first observed triangle so now we have two craft up in the sky in their turn after a series of erratic moves they arrange themselves also in a triangular formation in the meantime, the Glan CRC observes the phenomenon on radar. So that must be the shifting pattern that they were detecting on radar because it was able to go from a diamond shape to a triangle to a sphere, and they didn't know what to make of it on radar. And they can see this in real time. From 2349 till 2359, the Simmerkaze TCC slash RP the traffic control center and reporting post confirms in its turn to have made clear radar contact at the same position pointed out by the Glan CRC. After prerequisite coordination with the SOC2, and since all conditions are fulfilled to make the QRA take off, the Glan CRC gives the scramble order to the one J-wing, one of the F-16s. From 2345 to 0015, so we're talking 12.15 a.m. now. The bright points are still clearly observed from the ground. 
Their perspective position does not change. The whole formation seems to move slowly in comparison with the stars. The ocular witnesses on the ground notice that the UFOs send from time to time brief and more intense luminous signals. In the meantime, two weaker luminous points are observed towards Egezi. I'm sorry for the pronunciation as always. Those, as the others, also have brief and erratic moves. So now we're into the wee hours of March 31st at 0005 2F16's QRA of J-Wing, AL-17, and AL-23 take off. So we got AL-17, AL-23. Those are just the nomenclature for these two F-16s. Between 0007 and 0054, under control of the CRC, on the whole nine interception attempts have been undertaken by the fighters. So nine times they have gone back and forth trying to pick this thing up. The planes have had several times brief radar contacts on the targets designated by the CRC. In three cases, the pilots managed to lock on the target during a few seconds, which, each time, induced a drastic change in the component of the UFOs. In no case have the pilots had a visual contact with the UFOs. So they find it on radar, but they can't actually visually see it as they're patrolling the airspace. 0013. First lock on the target designated by the CRC. Position on the nose, 6 nautical miles, 9,000 feet, direction 250. The target speed changes within minimum time from 150 to 970 knots. So just, it's gone. Altitude coming down from 9,000 to 5,000 feet and then back up to 11,000 feet. And shortly after, down to ground level. From this results a brake lock after some seconds and the pilot losing radar contact. The Glans radar informs at the moment of the brake lock that the fighters are above the target position. Approximately 0019 through 0030, so 1219 to 1230 a.m., the Simmer TCC as well as the Glans CRC have lost contact with the target. From time to time, a contact appears in the region, but they are too few to have a clear track. In the meantime, the pilots contact the VHF, which is the radio of civilian air traffic, in order to coordinate their moves with the Brussels TMA. The radar contact on UHF is maintained with the GLONS CRC. At 0030, AL-17 has a radar contact at 5,000 feet, 20 nautical miles away from... Bovichain, ah, yeah, another one, sorry, position 255. The target moves at a very high speed at 740 knots. The lock on lasts during six seconds, and at the brake lock, the signal of a jamming appears on the scope. So, not only is this thing playing with them and losing their radar locks, it's jamming them too, just to kind of mess with them. So, at about 12:30 a.m., the ground witnesses see three times the F-16s pass along. During the third pass, they see the planes turning in circles at the center of the great formation initially seen. At the same time, they notice the disappearance of the little triangle where the brightest western point of the big triangle moves very fast, probably upward. This point emits red signals in a repetitive way during the maneuver. The two other points of the great triangle disappear shortly after. 
The clear points above Egezi are no longer visible, and only the western brightest point of the triangle can be observed. At 0032, the Glans and the Simmerkaze radars have a contact at 110-6 nautical miles away from Bovichain, which heads for Bierset at 7,000 feet and high speed. The registered speeds go from 478 to 690 knots. The contact is lost above Bierset. The Maastricht Radar Control Center has had no contact with this UFO. From 0039 to 0041, the Glan CRC mentions a possible contact at 10 nautical miles from the plane's altitude 10,000 feet. The pilots have had a radar contact at 7 nautical miles, again is announced with an acceleration from 100 to 600 knots. The lock-on lasts only a few seconds and the planes as well as the CRC lose contact. At 0047, the Bovichain Rapcon mentions a contact on its radar at 6,500 feet altitude, positioned away from Bovichain, 160-5 nautical miles. The Glan CRC has also a contact on the same position, this one observed up to 0056. So for almost 10 minutes straight, they picked it back up again. From 0045 till 0100, some attempts are undertaken in order to intercept the UFOs. The planes register only a few very short radar contacts. The ground observers see the last UFO disappeared towards Louvain-la-Neuve at around 0100. The UFO has completely disappeared. At 0102, AL-17 and AL-23 quit the frequency of the Glan CRC and return to their base. At 0106, the Federal Police mentions to the Glan CRC that has just been observed a phenomenon like the one mentioned by Mr. Rankin at 2315. At 010, 0110, excuse me, the landing of AL-17 and 0116, the landing of AL-23. At 0118, Captain Pinson has gone to the Jodoin Federal Police, describes his observation as follows. Four luminous white points at the apexes of a square, at the center of which is Jodoin. So it's hovering over top of this area. The UFO seen towards Orp Joush, southwest of Jordoin, is the brightest and has a yellow-red color. The luminous points move with jerky and short moves. At 0130, the UFOs lose their luminosity and seem to disappear in four distinct directions. So at approximately 0130, they all fade out and then they just scatter in different directions and that ends the chronological events of the night. So what we have here, like I mentioned, is these craft that they were surveilling. They picked them up on radar. They were never actually able to see them physically. And they were just able to do feats that we are incapable of, both technology-wise and human bodily. Like, physically, we cannot take those physical demands. Those breaking G speeds will crush you to a pulp immediately. And then on the ground, we have some other witness testimonies as well. And these are notable officials. We have more federal police officers, two judges, an engineer, an army colonel, and an Air Force meteorologist. 
all giving their own separate eyewitness testimony. So let's start off with these testimonies from the ground. First off, we have the Air Force meteorologist by the name of Valenzano Francesco. While driving with his daughter, he saw a craft at an altitude of only 100 to 150 meters, so right with the tree line. That thing is low, emitting blue and red lights. From below, they saw three large headlights all pointing downward. Next up, we've got Andre Amand, who is an Army Lieutenant Colonel in Belgium. Late December 1989, while driving with his wife, they spotted a UFO just above the tree line. So same thing. They're really low to the ground. And this UFO had three or four panels of lights. The UFO was silent, and upon leaving the scene, the brightest lights changed to three weaker white lights, forming a triangle as well as a large red light in the center of the triangle. Even with good visibility, they were unable to see the object emitting the lights and left because his wife was fearful of this craft. So in Belgium, it's nice to see that military officials are more forthcoming with their findings because in contrast here in the States, we they tend to cover everything up and you never really know the entire truth as well as how many sightings there are. And the amount of sightings that claim to have witnessed the same thing and over such a long period of time, it's pretty outright damning that something was going on. And it later came out that these were not testing equipment. Nobody was flying new, like, proposed aircraft that had these technology capabilities. And they weren't any other countries like research or developments. And all of the witness testimonies share a lot in common, too. Like, the triangular shape of them, the lights, they would go from being brighter than stars and changing between white, red, green, and yellow... And red balls of light would drop from the UFO, and then they would dim, and then they would go back up into the UFO. Like just a ball of light that would just come down and then re-enter into the UFO. And they're just manipulating the light like that. So I don't know what that is. There's no technology in our world on Earth that can manipulate light like that. Like it could be a hologram, but they had a radar lock on it so it's proven that these couldn't be holograms because they physically picked them up on radar by military radar and to quote a reporter let me at once say that i find the account of the two belgium sightings entirely convincing and another quote he says what is unusual is that the belgium ministry of defense police air force and politicians have all been forthcoming and then a labor spokesman, David Clark, told the Sunday Express that despite solid information from the Belgians, the Ministry of Defense has persistently brushed the matter under the carpet. Maybe, but still a lot better than what we get out of our UFO sightings. They have official recorded information, and our view is the Ministry of Defense is being far too secretive. They ought to be much more open on the issue. If it wasn't a UFO and was a stealth bomber, then we should be told. But once again, this is beyond the realm of stealth bombers or helicopters. Nothing on this earth is able to do what these craft can do. So there have been images of these craft, but a lot of them have been debunked by people who have set up filming tricks and they've shown how to manipulate and get these lighting effects and create 
the illusion of these UFOs. However, with more than a thousand witnesses, I, for one, am entirely skeptical. Maybe there wasn't a picture taken, but once again, this thing is manipulating light and gravitational fields and has soft buzz about it. And this is back in 1990. So with the technology at the time, even if you were able to take a photograph of it, it would probably be distorted just because of the technology that the craft has around it. So we're going to wrap it up today with our condensed segment. What do you guys think about this UFO phenomenon? Go ahead and talk about it in the comments. Um, I, for one, definitely believe that these were alien craft over Belgium. There's so many sightings, so many eyewitness testimonies, and the fact that it was picked up on radar is just too strong of evidence for me to deny. Um, I think this is one of the more prevalent UFO sightings as well. I'm glad that there's so much released information out here about this. I'm surprised I had not heard of this one up until a couple weeks ago either. The fact that these were able to pull these maneuvers and just pretty much play with F-16s like they were playthings, like these are supersonic aircraft and it's just dwarfing their capabilities, that's pretty impressive to me. And I personally am just super curious about how what physics they used to pull these maneuvers off. And if they were a hoax, where's that technology? How are they doing that? How are they pulling a hoax out of that over a year, more than a year of these sightings, and they're still pulling these hoaxes that are detectable on radar and have been proven not to be holographs? It's just, it's damning evidence, and I for one think that it's super cool that these are out there and these statements exist so i'd like to thank you all very much for coming in for episode two a big shout out to all my supporters and loved ones and everyone i know online you guys are really pulling for me i love it i'm trying we're gonna keep doing this it's feeling great i'm loving the work it's so cool to read about these things and i can't wait to see you guys next week have a great one this is your host can goods signing off